Let's go to 1 John chapter 5 in your Bibles this morning. 1 John chapter 5, and uh, we're going to pick up uh, where we finished last week. We finished in verse number 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 and 13. I also ask, especially the children, that you not get up and leave the auditorium any more than you have to. Uh, if you need to go to the bathroom, do your best to hold it. We're only going to be in here, I'd say, another 35 or 40 minutes, and then we'll get you to the bathroom. So uh, hang tough where you're at. Let's not have a lot of interruptions. Adults around the, around the kids, help the best you can to keep them in a way that's orderly. All right. First John 5, once you've found that, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at verses 12 and 13 this uh, afternoon here. 12 and 13. If you can stand, if you're able to, once you've found that, or as you're finding it, that'd be great. Still working on it here. All right. First John chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached just out of verses 12 and 13. I've used, used them many times out soul winning. Uh, I've shared them with people to give assurance of salvation. Uh, but this is the joy of preaching through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. We cover the familiar and the unfamiliar. And uh, today the uh, uh, Bible study or message this, this afternoon is entitled this, Your Salvation is Eternally Secure. Aren't you thankful for that? This afternoon, that you can't lose your salvation. Well, let's look at that in the Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we understand these truths. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to be refreshed by your Word. And then, Lord, if there's somebody here today that has not even uh, become a Christian, has not yet been saved, we pray they would get that taken care of before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit down. Throughout Christendom, there are many different churches that question how, uh, how long one's salvation lasts. Uh, does the Bible teach that once someone receives Christ, they are saved forever? Or can a Christian lose his salvation? This has been a debate in Christianity for now millennia. As we will see this afternoon, God's Word is crystal clear that once you become a child of God, you are locked in. You will forever be His child. You will always be a child of God. Don't let someone use human logic uh, to teach you something that is contrary to Scripture. Most churches that get into just weird territory doctrinally, I can tell you it happens. They try to logic with uh, the Bible. They try to come up with what is reasonable to mankind. And they get all sorts of weird spin-offs. And they end up way out in left field. And then they take a presupposition and they try to bring Scripture in to match it instead of allowing what they believe to be brought in line with Scripture. Now, um, don't let someone use scare tactics to control your behavior. You didn't earn God's love. Uh, through good works for salvation. So why would you keep God's love or salvation by good works? Let me say that again. You don't earn your salvation by good works, so you don't keep your salvation 
based on good works. Now, I want to show you what a lot of denominations do that teach you can lose your salvation. Watch this. Uh, A works-based salvation or a works-based rescuing works this way. Um, God hates you or doesn't like you. Now, notice the theology here. God hates you or doesn't like you. And in order to earn the afterlife, you have to behave in a way that pleases God. You have to earn His love. You have to get His love to be bent toward you by your good behavior. Then and only then will you be saved. You see what's being done there. That is a works-based salvation. If you were to stop and ask somebody who believes that uh, you can, uh, you get saved by grace through faith, but that your salvation can be lost, they will tell you that salvation is not earned, it's received. It is a gift that is received. However, they change things after you get saved. You see, we believe that God loves you, and sin has caused us to turn away from God, and if we'll turn back to God's love, He will save us. You cannot do anything to earn the love of God. Amen? God loves you. God God would have loved you the same if you skipped church today. Now, that doesn't mean you should skip church. We don't go to church to earn God's love. We go to church because of God's love. We don't share our faith with others to earn God's love. We share our faith because God's love is so radically touched and changed our lives. Now watch this. Someone who believes that you can lose your salvation, here's how they work it. They work it like this. You earn God, you, you receive God's uh, uh, love as a gift at salvation. However, if you don't behave, God will take that gift away. You see the fear-mongering tactics that are being used? You better go to church or you're going you're to go to hell. You better read your Bible and walk with God or you're going to go to hell. You better not mess around. You better not sin. You better not cuss. You better not behave a certain way or you will lose your salvation. Boy, it would be nice for me to be able to stand up here and use those tactics to get you to behave. But listen, that would be wrong of me to do because that's just flat out not what the Bible teaches. A teaching belief that you can lose your salvation is nothing more than a fear-mongering scare tactic to get people to come in line and behave. And it just doesn't gel with Scripture. You see, someone who thinks that you can lose your salvation based on sin, James chapter 2, verse 10 teaches, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. There aren't big sins and little sins. All sin is equal eternally. In the sight of God. Adam and Eve were not condemned to death because they killed somebody. Adam and Eve were not condemned to death because they committed adultery. There was no one for them to commit adultery with. Amen? Uh, Adam and Eve got condemned to hell because they ate the fruit and disobeyed God. The average person will put disobedience in a category of little sins. And they'd put uh, uh, murder and adultery and pedophilia in the category of big sins. But God says eternally all sin is equal. And if you offend in one point, you've broken the whole thing. Now watch this. If you believe that committing sin causes you to lose your salvation, i got to tell you, I'd be asking God to resave me about 20, 30 times a day. You say, you sin that much, Pastor? I bet you do too. Let's take every thought you've thought over the last 24 hours. Let's transcribe it. Let's put it up on the screen. And let's highlight everything that displeases the Lord. How many highlights do you think are going to be on that, uh, that uh, tra- transcription? At least 20 or 30. And that's just your thought life. We haven't even got into the actions. You see, if you believe that committing sin causes you to lose your salvation, 
boy, we would have to get saved over and over and over and over and over again. For one to believe that a child of God can forfeit their position within his family, they must believe that any and all sin would cost him his salvation. We are all sinful beings, very sinful beings. So sinful that if sinning costs us our salvation, we would need to get resaved often and uh, over again. Last week we looked at 1 John 5, 5 through 11. We saw the, as the Apostle John made his case for why Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of mankind. This week, let's pick up right where we left off. We'll notice the plain terms in which John lays out for us how one obtains eternal life. And then look at the confidence that a child of God can have. A confidence that once you are saved, you can know that ye have eternal life. Let's jump in this morning. I want to show you three basic thoughts uh, from 1 John 5. And if you have a scrap, a piece of paper somewhere, I would encourage you to take notes. Here we go. Number one, notice the reception of the Savior, the reception of the Savior. It may be that you're in here uh, this morning, you came in on the bus, and you're not used to hearing me preach. I'd encourage you to stay awake here, amen? And if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you've never received Jesus and picked Him to be on your team and allowed Him to be your Savior, boy, I would encourage you to do that today. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Look here. He that hath the Son hath life. Boy, that's simple, isn't it? You have Jesus, you have life. So the question begs to be asked, how does one have the Son? Well, one must believe that the Son is who He claims to be. The key is belief. Back up to 1 John 5 and look at verse number 1. Look here. Whosoever believeth, believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Look at verse 4. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our, what's that now? last word, even our faith, our faith. Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth, believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Look down at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Are you getting the picture here? He that hath the Son hath life. How does one have the Son? He must believe that Jesus is who He claims to be. Um, uh, let, me, let me illustrate it to you this way, alright? I love to play pickup basketball. I love to play pickup basketball because of the uh, quarantine and all that. I haven't been able to play much uh, in a while, but I love, love, love to play pickup basketball. I've, I spent most of my teen years playing basketball. Let's just say that I walked into a gym and there were a bunch of guys shooting around, shooting baskets and kind of getting warmed up. And I didn't know them and they didn't know me, but after we got a chance to warm up and shoot around a little bit, uh, they said, all right, first two guys to make a free throw, they're the team captains and they get to pick the teams. And so I, I have a ball and I'm standing by the free throw line and so I, I put it up there and it goes right in and so I'm one of the team captains, all right? Now, I've looked around the gymnasium, and I've observed the guys that are warming up, and everyone in there is a short little white dude that's five foot ten, who aren't very talented, and then I've got a guy who's six foot six, right? He plays in the NBA, and he can dunk the basketball. And I'm picking first. Who do you think I'm picking? I'm picking that guy. Why? Because I believe in him, right? When I choose him, I have him on my team. And because I have him on my team, 
I'm probably going to win the game. Watch this. You're standing in life, and you're looking out at all the players on the court as a possibility to get you to heaven. You're watching them. You're seeing their performance. You with me here? You, you're up. It's your pick. You can pick good works to be on your team. You'll go to hell. You can pick religion to be on your team. You'll go to hell. But you can pick Jesus, King Jesus, who can do far more than dunk a basketball. Amen? Pick King Jesus to be on your team. You have the Son at that point. But you know what? You're not going to pick Him if you don't believe in Him. I've met a lot of people who don't pick Jesus. They pick Buddhism, or they pick Confucianism, or they pick Islam, or uh, they pick humanism, which is the worshiping of, uh, of, of the human being, the, the worshiping even of oneself. They pick Scientology. They pick, um, uh, uh, they pick materialism. They pick atheism. They say, I don't even think that the game exists, and I don't even think any of this is real. And my friend, at some point in your life, you have to step up and say, I choose Jesus Christ. And when you put him on your team, you are guaranteed to go to heaven. He that hath the Son hath life. Jesus is available to be on your team, but he will not force himself to be on your team. He is waiting for you to say, Jesus, I want you. I believe in you. And I would just say this morning that if you've never called on the name of Jesus by faith and put your trust, full heart's trust in him, Boy, don't do that. Don't delay. You say, Pastor Lejeune, how does that work? Right where you're at, you just bow your head and you call out to Jesus and you tell Him. You say, listen, I know that as a sinner, I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I know that you died for me. I know you suffered in my place. I believe in you. And you ask Him to take you to heaven when you die. Number one, we see here the reception of the Savior. Number two, notice the rejection of of the Savior, the rejection of the Savior. Look back at verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. We live in a world where people care more about what makes them feel good than truth. Don't let your facts hurt my feelings. We live in a world where people are of the opinion that their feelings matter more than anything else. And if that damages me emotionally, then how dare you say it, even if it's true? We live in a world that if I get up and I make the statement that people who die without Christ go to hell, that is, with some people, that is labeled hate speech. Hate speech. Hate speech or not, it's the truth. What are you going to do with it? He that hath the Son hath life, John says. He that hath not the Son, by default, hath not life. Hath not life. Jesus made it very clear when He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Someone says the Bible is a narrow-minded book. It only offers one way to heaven. And I say to that, it's His world, it's His rules. You know what? If I invite you over to my house for a party and I want you to come in through a particular door to come to my party, 
You can call me bigoted and narrow-minded all you want for saying that you have to come in through the front door. It's my property. It's my, it's my party. If I say you have to come in through the front door, then bless God, you gotta come through the front door. Don't you bring your ladder and put it up to the window and try to climb in through a window. I'll shut that window right on your fingers. You ain't coming in. Jesus says, this is my heaven. You're my creation. I created you perfect and you chose sin. You rejected me. And so then I created a path to heaven through Jesus. Don't call me narrow-minded. Be thankful I made you a way to heaven. Don't reject it. Receive it. Receive it. Jesus is the way to heaven. We see, number one, the reception of the Savior. Number two, the rejection of the Savior. Let's move on and notice, number three, some reasons for eternal security. Some reasons for eternal security. Look at verse 13 with me again. Look at the look at the assuredness of this verse. Look at the strong language in this verse. Let's take it phrase by phrase here. These things have I written unto you. Now, this is John writing unto the saved. So, John is writing to Christians. These things, John, I, John, have written unto you, the church, those who are saved, that believe on the name of the Son of God. If you've believed on the name of the Son of God, would you just raise your hand for me? Uh, guess what? This verse is written to us, alright? Look here, look at the next phrase. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. It doesn't say that ye might think that ye have it. It doesn't say that ye might have eternal life. This is something we can be 100% confident in. That once we put our faith in Christ, we can know we have eternal life. And then listen, for, for sake of emphasis, we see the repetitiveness here. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So once you receive Christ, you can pillow your head every night with 100% certainty that if you die in your sleep, you will wake up in heaven. Now, I've titled this point, Some Reasons. Some reasons for eternal security because while I, while I rattle off 15 reasons, I'm going to give you 15 reasons here. I'm just going to run through them quickly. But while I rattle off 15 reasons, there are many, many, many more proofs in Scripture that once we are saved, we are always saved. Let me encourage you to write these 15 down. They'll be coming up on the screen. And if Satan ever wants to mess with your head that you've lost your salvation, then uh, go back to this list and go back to these verses, all right? Number one, notice eternal is eternal. Eternal is eternal. 1 John 5.13. Look at it again. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have what? That ye have what? You guys awake? You, you, some of you ate too much. And now your belly's full and you're going to sleep here. Alright? That ye may know that ye have... Eternal is eternal. How long is eternal? Forever. Alright? Let me ask you a question. Is this body of mine going to live forever? This body of mine is temporary. You with me? Temporary cannot stop forever. Temporary cannot bring eternal to an end. It doesn't say that ye might, uh, it doesn't say, uh, there in that verse, uh, that ye, that you will one day have eternal life. It says that you have it right now. Eternal life began the moment you got saved. And it lasts forever. Forever. Eternal is eternal. Number two, one cannot be unborn. One cannot be unborn. John chapter three, verse five, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we know that second birth 
to be that of a spiritual birth. We're born anew. We're regenerated into the family of God. Now, for someone to believe that I can lose my salvation, then that means that I have to go from being born in Christ to being unborn in Christ. You see how that creates a problem for us? One cannot be unborn. Once you've been born into the family of God, it's final. Number three, he promises we will never perish. We will never perish. Turn over to John chapter 3. In fact, I put these in order in my Bible to try to help us not have to flip all over the place. Turn over to John 3. We're going to work our way from left to right uh, through uh, the New Testament here on this idea of once we're saved, we're always saved. John chapter 3. Everybody there? Look at verse 16. He promised we will never perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, next three words, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, but pastor, it says that they should not perish. That's not final. Listen to John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Folks, how much more plain English does God need to put this in? They shall never perish. Never perish. The day you got saved, your eternal destination got changed from hell to heaven, and God looked at you and said, okay, now that you've believed, you will never, ever perish. Number four, under no circumstance will He cast us out. Under no circumstance will He cast us out. Look at John chapter 6 and verse number 37. John chapter 6 and verse number 37. Somebody's getting some snoozes in. we got a snore here. That's all good. John chapter 6, verse number 37 says this, All that the Father give, uh, giveth me shall come to me. Look here. And him that cast, uh, cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Hey, look, if Jesus promised that under no circumstance would he throw you out of his family, would he disown you, then why would one believe that they could lose their salvation? Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye hath, where he hath said, I will never leave thee. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Under no circumstance will he cast us out. Number five, notice, sonship cannot be broken. Sonship cannot be broken. You have to turn back to the left a couple of chapters here. But look at John chapter 1 and verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You all remember the story of the uh, prodigal son, right? prodigal son came to dad and said, Dad, I don't like your house. I don't like your rules. I want to leave and live on my own. Give me what I have coming to me and let me go. And so the dad does. He gives him his things and off he goes into a far country. Let me ask you a question. At any point in that story, did that boy ever cease to be his dad's son? Huh? He did some pretty awful things, didn't he? He, uh, he was a womanizer, slept with harlots, spent his money on alcohol and booze and wine and the party life. I don't know if drugs were available back then, but if so, he probably would have done them. Right? And then he lost it all. When he came home, he came back and said, Dad, just consider me a servant. And Dad said, Nonsense. You are my boy. Do you, 
And that, by the way, that's exactly how a dad ought to handle it. Do you think that as humans, we're better men? Do you think that we're better dads than God the Father is? Well, if you don't behave, God's going to throw you out of His family and you're going to lose your salvation. Hey, watch this. Fellowship with God is broken by sin. But sonship can never be broken. Sonship can never be broken. Once you are in the family of God, He will forever be your Abba Father, your Heavenly Father. Number six, notice salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Let's go over to the book of Romans. We're going to look at several verses in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Turn there with me. Romans 6, 23. And there are several places in the Bible where salvation is called a gift, but we'll look at this one here. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, how many of you in here are familiar with the phrase Indian giving? Raise your hand if you're old enough to know the phrase Indian giving. Okay, my kids know it, but most, most children don't know what an Indian giver is. Is God an Indian giver? You say, what is an Indian giver? Let me quickly explain to the younger crowd here. Right, if I give you something and then turn around and take it back, that's Indian giving. All right, I know that's not politically correct, but that's all good. Amen? Look, we're not worried about being politically correct around here. If I give Miss Mercedes, uh, you know, uh, let's see, if I give her a mansion to live in. I don't have a mansion to give you. Let's just say I gave you a mansion to live in. And, after, and I signed all the, ta- the, the title, title over to you, and I made it yours. And then I came back five years later and said, I'm taking it back. I don't like the way you've been living your life. I want it back. It's not mine to take back. I've given it away. Salvation is a gift. God changes ownership from Him to you. It's yours. You say, well, what if I don't want it anymore? He isn't taking it back. He gave it to you. It's yours forever. Salvation is a gift. Uh, number seven. Number seven. The Savior under no condemnation. The Savior under no condemnation. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God does not even see the sins that we commit from an eternality standpoint after we get saved. Number eight, grace and works salvation don't blend. Turn to Romans chapter 11, verse number six. Grace and works salvation don't blend. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Grace and works salvation don't blend. To understand what I'm getting at here, we're saved, help me out here, by grace through what? Grace through faith. It's not works through faith. It's grace through faith. Now, I think it's important that we understand this. Did you know that works is a part of being saved? Now, now stay with me here. It's His work and my faith. His work on the cross... And my faith in His work on the cross brings about my salvation. It's not my work in my faith. It's my faith in His work. If Jesus had not died on the cross, my sins could not be forgiven. He did the work on the cross. 
I don't bring the works to the table. I bring the faith to the table. He brings the grace or the work, the grace provided through the work of Christ on the cross. And His work plus my faith equals saved. Someone says, well, pastor, what about the book, uh, the, the verse in James that says, faith without works is dead? Yes. My faith without Christ's work means nothing. But my faith plus Christ's work means I'm saved. So we get saved by our faith and His work. And then, listen, we we grow in the Lord by our faith manifested through our own work. Grace and works uh, salvation don't blend. He provides the work. We provide the faith. He provides the grace. We provide the belief. This idea that I have to be a good person and I have to live a good life in order to earn God's favor, in order to remain in His family, goes against the idea that God is a gracious God. Let's, let's keep going here. Number nine, we are sealed by the Holy Ghost. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What does it mean to be sealed? What does it mean to be sealed? It means that your name was put in the Lamb's book of life. Watch this. And a wax seal was put over your name so it could never, ever, ever be erased. Never, ever, ever be erased. Our salvation is sealed by the Holy Ghost. You say, well, what if I commit suicide? This seal remains. What if I kill someone? The seal remains. What if I uh, go off and, and live a, a, a horrible, whoremongering style lifestyle? This seal remains. Now, you will bring down the wrath of God in the form of a father punishing his son. You will have to deal with God punishing you as his child, but the seal of the Holy Ghost remains. Number 10, we obtain salvation, not attain salvation. We obtain salvation. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 and look at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 9, salvation is obtained, not attained. Very different words there. To obtain means to receive as a gift. To attain means to earn. Look here, neither by the, Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Salvation is obtained. It is received freely. He paid for it on the cross we receive it. We cannot earn it. Salvation is not earned. And if, if salvation is not gained by works, then it is not kept by works. Number 11, God doesn't remember our sins. God doesn't remember our sins. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse number 17. It says, all their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Amen to that. How many of you at a point in your life have lived in fear that something you've done in your past, those skeletons would come out of the closet and embarrass you? How many of you ever felt that way? My hand's up. Things I've done in my past. Hey, you know what? You go to God and you say, I blew it. I messed up. And God's like, didn't you already apologize for that? And you say, well, yeah. And He says, then I forgot it already. I don't even know what you're talking about. He doesn't remember our sins. He buries them in the deepest sea. They're covered by the blood of Christ. Number 12, salvation began and was finished on the cross. 
Salvation began and was finished on the cross. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and what? Finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love this verse because Jesus authors our faith and it says He finishes our faith. You know what that means? The good work God started in you, it's up to Him, not me, to finish it. You with me? It's up to Him, not me, to finish it. He's going to finish that work. Listen to Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The moment you got saved, you began a process called sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification in simple terms is the process of becoming like Christ. And you know, we're going to finish that process when we get to heaven. Here in uh, Philippians 1.6 and Hebrews 12.2, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus will finish our faith when we're taken to heaven. Number 13, what God does is forever. What God does is forever. I threw an Old Testament reference in here. Let me read this one for you. Listen closely to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. It says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before Him. The day that Jesus saved me, He changed me, He redeemed me, He made me into His child. And you know what? That action can never be undone. Because what God does, He does forever. Alright, two more here. Number 14, we are kept by God's power. Turn over to First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I've heard this argument. Well, pastor, all right, I get that the gift of God is eternal. But my behavior determines whether or not I get to keep the eternal gift. And God gives me that gift, but if I don't behave in a certain way, I will forfeit the right to have that gift. Or I've heard this argument. Well, pastor, what if I don't want the gift anymore? What if I decide I don't want to believe anymore? Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verses 4 and 5. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Where is it reserved? Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Alright, I'm going to get uh, technical here. Alright, I'm losing some of you here. You're fading on me. So I'm going to come down and try to change things up a little bit. Watch this. Okay? Watch this. When I got saved, God took the gift of eternal life, and He made it mine. He didn't hand me a tangible gift. He didn't do that. He took that gift, and He reserved it in heaven. Now, it's mine. It's just as much mine now as it will be then. But it's reserved in heaven. I'm down here, and I don't always behave. I don't always have the best of days. I don't always have the best of years. Sometimes I messed up. That doesn't change the fact that this reward, or rather this, uh, this salvation, is reserved for me in heaven. And who's walking guard around that gift? God is. God's power keeps that reserved. We are kept by God's power. Uh, listen, there are going to be people who, after they get saved, they decide, I'm an atheist. I don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. They're going to turn their back on God and live a lifestyle that's vulgar and vile. And they're going to claim they don't believe in God. 
They're going to say they're not saved anymore, and then they're going to die and get to heaven, and they're going to go to heaven. Why? Because they got saved. At some point in their life, they got saved. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk into the presence of God ashamed, but they're going to walk into the presence of God and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, that you did not discard my gift. Because I really don't want the alternative of going to hell. That salvation is guarded. It's protected by God in heaven. Number 15, in my favorite, I save this one for last, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Turn over to Romans chapter number 8. Let's finish here. Romans chapter number 8. I'm making you turn back, but I, I save this one for last on purpose. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 38 and 39. We're going to read these out loud together here. Make sure you turn there so you can read along. Everybody there? Here we go. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Once God's love has saved you, boy, that's permanent. That's permanent. Go back to 1 John chapter 5 where we began. Look at verse 13 with me one more time. And Christian, find great rest in this. It says there, These things have I written... Let's read it together. Ready? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Gospel is so simple. Jesus, the perfect God-man, died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and three days later, He rose from the dead. He has the power over death and sin. He offers to you life and peace if you'll turn to Him. And once you do, your salvation is eternal. Through my lifetime, through my years, I have met Christians who struggle with this concept of whether or not they really are saved. Satan wants to play games with your mind, but my friend, I'm here to tell you that if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's a done deal, it's eternal. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, boy, it's time to choose Jesus and believe in Him and have Him so you can have life. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this afternoon. I I thank you for your attention. I know the day's long. Some of you have been here since 8.30 this morning. And uh, you're, you're tired and weary. Uh, but uh, thank you for giving me your attention despite all the distractions in the room this afternoon. Let me just ask this question of uh, you all here. How many would say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. I know that I'm going to heaven. If that's you, would you just hold your hand up? I know that I'm a child of God. You put your hands down. Is there one here that would say, Pastor, again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. How many here would say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever chose Jesus. I don't know that I have Him. But, Pastor, I would like to know that. Listen, my intent is not to call anyone out or embarrass them. But if you, the Bible is very clear in 1 John 5, 12. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Is there one here today who would say, Pastor, I've yet to choose Jesus to be my Savior. Please pray for me. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? I don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. 
Lord, thank you for this time together. I didn't see a hand of the second question. I hope that means everyone here has believed. But Lord, if there's someone here that hasn't, would you help them to believe? Lord, for all of us here, may we be secure in our salvation. May we understand that our salvation is forever. Lord, we praise you for that truth. That we don't have to worry day to day whether or not you love us. We don't have to worry day to day whether or not we're still saved. We're thankful, Lord, that even when we don't feel saved, or that we still are because you have guarded our salvation. You have reserved that for us in heaven. We long for the day that we stand in your presence and we know you. Until then, help us to be busy sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. In Jesus' name.